you know, there, there are things that we look at that they're just kind of awesome things to see. Um, some of you guys are going up to, to, uh, to the mountains to, to see the, the, the leaves turning, right? And just the, the beauty of it. It's pretty amazing. That some, sometimes uh, we will go to the ocean, and I never go to the ocean that there aren't just a few moments that I just kind of stand there and stare at it, right? I mean, it's just amazing. And, and we could go on with things like that that just take our breath away, or maybe that we don't, you know, we, we're just kind of overwhelmed by. But, but I've always found it interesting, people, people who live in the mountains... Like, there are people who live in Gatlinburg, right? They're not visiting there. They live there. People who, who live at St. Augustine, right? They're like there at, at the ocean and the harbor and all the pretty, I mean, every single day. And this interesting thing that, that happens to them, that, that when they see it day after day after day after day, there's a very real possibility that they just begin to take it for granted, like, yeah, well, yeah, there's, yeah, there's the mountain. I mean, yeah, whatever. Yeah, there, there's, there's the bay. I mean, obviously, I see that every single day, right? And, and as outsiders, we, we look at that sometimes and say, man, what would it be like to live in this place? It's probably a lot like it is to live in this place. You, you, we, we tend to take for granted the things that we have. Now, the challenge for them to actually step back and to realize they got living in the midst of something special from a spiritual sense if we're not careful, there's a very real danger that we begin to take for granted our own salvation. And so when Paul writes here in Ephesians chapter 2, everything that we're going to talk about this morning as we look at uh, probably about those first 10 verses and maybe, maybe one a little bit farther down the way, but, but everything that he's going to write is, is to help us do something that is so very important in our faith, and that is this, to remember. It's why we partake of the Lord's Supper, right? Not because we're needing a snack, but because we need to remember. We, we, we need to have this thing brought to our remembrance that you, you, you might think if there ever was something that we could never forget, that would be it, wouldn't it? But yet you know that we do. Don't we? We struggle with our minds drifting even in that moment. So, so when Paul writes these first, these first ten verses Everything is coming together down to verse 11. And you just you read along in your Bibles with me this morning. He says, therefore, based on everything that we're, and we'll get to all this other stuff, but based on everything that I'm going to talk about, therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called, uncircumc called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, Remember that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. He says, I want you to remember that. Because if you don't remember that, well, you might just take it for granted. You ever taken someone for granted? You ever taken your wife for granted, fellas? You ever, you ever taken your husband for granted, ladies? 
You, you, you ever taken your parents for granted? Have you ever taken an employee for granted? And then all of a sudden when they weren't there, you begin to realize what, what I had. I mean, how many people do I talk to and you say, if you just had one more chance, one more opportunity to speak to someone, to express your love for someone, to express your appreciation for someone, right? But, but we didn't because in the moment we just, you know what, they were just always there day after day doing the things that, that they do, and I just took it for granted. And it's possible that, that when our salvation and being a part of the Lord's church and being someone who is saved and being someone who is washed in the blood and being a Christian, that, that, that's an easy thing to just roll off, off of my lips. It's possible that if I don't take time to remember that I take even my own salvation for granted. And brethren, when I take my salvation for granted, I... I stop really appreciating what it is that I'm blessed to have. You know, we, we, we think of some verses like 2 Timothy. There in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, the Bible says, Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, and not to me only, but also to all who love his appearing. Are you excited about the appearing of the Lord? I mean, are you going to, are, do, do, do you love the idea that the Lord is going to come again? I mean, or do we just know it's a fact? Does it just drift over into, well, yes, I give assent to this. I know this is true. Listen, I'm saying, do you love it? Are you excited about it? Does it fill you with some sort of emotion? That's why you need to remember that's why you need to remember your husband, your wife. Because when you stop remembering, you stop appreciating, you stop showing that love, right? That's what happens. We know that in relationships, it happens with our relationship with God. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 22, If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, then let him be accursed. Oh, Lord, come. See, this is not about us being here. It's not less than that, but it's so much more than that. God wants us to love Him. God wants us to care for Him, to crave Him, to cherish Him. So much so that I can say, oh Lord, come. I want you to come. If, if the Lord comes and all the plans that I have for this week and this, and this next year and this next decade and none of those things happen, so what? I want the Lord to come because I love Him. But I've got to remember I've got to remember who He is and what He's done for me if I'm going to keep that fire burning within my life. Ephesians 6 and verse 24, Grace be to, be to, all, to all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. And so we look at these first ten verses so that we might not forget. So that we might remember what it is that Christ has done for us. Slide on back on your eyes there in Ephesians chapter 2 to the very first verse. And we're just going to read some of this. I think it's, it's just so powerful. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Paul writes, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, 
in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we are all once among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. It is an incredibly grim picture that he paints. He says, he says, and you he made alive. You know, it is so easy for us to think about and to quantify where other people are at spiritually in this world. Isn't it easy for us to talk about other people? To think about other people? Real quick, Thomas, would you rather have a, a, meeting, a meeting about one of them or about you? Yeah, he points at you guys, right? That's okay. You guys can point right back at him. I mean, I would much, maybe for the whole church, would you rather have a meeting about those people? And by those people, I just mean anyone who's not here this morning or about us. Well, it's much easier to talk about those people, right? But here Paul says, no, 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 I'm writing to the church. I'm writing about you. I'm writing, I'm writing about Christianity and what it means to be a Christian. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. I, I don't know that I have the, the, the vocabulary to overstate exactly what he's saying here about each one of us. He made us alive, but in order to be made alive, in order to be made alive, we have to understand that we were dead because of our own sin. That's the reality that each one of us face, right? Not this idea that Christ came to take good people like you and me and just make us better. No, we were dead people. Anybody ever had a dead car battery? Right? So what, what, what happens when you have a, a dead car battery? It doesn't do anything. It just, it just is there, right? I mean, you got like a real nice paperweight. Because the battery doesn't do anything, and the car that it's connected to doesn't do anything. Why? Well, because it's dead. He says, that's what you were. You were dead. That's why God's grace is... Such an amazing thing. Whenever we, start, whenever we stop being amazed at God's grace, it's because we've lost sight of the fact that we were dead people who've been redeemed because of His mercy and because of His grace and because of His love, none of which we deserved. We were dead people. And we look at people as, you know, well, maybe they would make a good addition to the church, or, or, or maybe there's somebody I'd like to spend some time with. Listen, he describes each one of us as dead people. And the reason that we're dead, he says, as we're dead people, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. He, he, says, he says that because our sin... Where did that come from? Let me paraphrase what he's saying there. He's saying that we walk in accord, in accordance with the devil himself. The course of this world. Who's the ruler of this world? 
I know that, I know that God is our supreme ruler, but, but who does even Jesus say is the ruler of this world? Satan rules this world. Do we not see evidence of that everywhere that we look? Do we not see evidence that Satan rules this world everywhere that we look? Does sin not seem to be mounting up more and more and more to our frustration, to, to, our, to our fear for the generations that are to come? And we say, why are they doing the things that, that, that they're doing? He says, that's who you're walking in accordance with. You're doing the same thing that they were doing. The Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. And we say, well, we talk about those people. Listen, do you know why you sin? For the same reason that those people sin. Does it, does it ever make your stomach, your stomach, does it ever make your stomach turn just a little bit when you see the sin that is filling our world today? Doesn't it? What is this world coming to? What, 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 what's going to be the result of all of these things? I mean, this kind of makes you sick, doesn't it? I don't understand why sometimes people are doing the things that they're doing. He says, you need to remember that you sinned for the same reasons. This is not pleasant, but this is important. This is not pleasant, but this is important. Because we are a, peop- we, we are a people who are, living, who are living by lust, according whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the, de- the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Th- this idea of someone... We, we know what lust is, and sometimes we just think about lust in a sexual sort of way, but to understand that, that lust is, I do what I want to do when I want to do it. Whatever thought, whatever emotion comes into my mind, I act upon those things. Because, because well, what he says, indulging the desires of the flesh. John would write in 1 John chapter 2 about, for saying that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it is not of the Father. It's of the world. But that's why we sin. He said, I want you to remember this. Even going as far as to say, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And, and so the, the, there are some who have taken this phrase to and they've twisted it to me to, to speak to the idea of um, the idea that we're totally depraved and incapable of responding to God. That's not what he's saying there. But what he is saying is that we all have flesh. We all have this thing called flesh that we are born with. It, and it just comes around with every single one of us. That's why all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why we have a common problem. That's why you can give me the most pure, innocent little child, and I don't know everything that will happen to that child, but if it lives long enough, here's one thing that I know. One day they will sin. That's my story. That's your story. That's your story. That's your story. He says, I want you to remember that. I want you to remember where it is that you have come from, that you were indeed dead. See, whenever we begin to see that, and you just do that in your own mind. I want you to think about your life before you came to Christ. 
I, I don't know if that's a transition that took place in the last couple of weeks or, or maybe it's a transition that, that took place 50 or 60 years ago, but I want you to think about it. I, I want you to think about the things that nobody else knows. I mean, maybe your spouse knows, maybe, maybe not even your spouse knows. I want you to think about your sin. I want you to think about all the reasons that we deserve nothing except for condemnation. And just let that activity go on in your mind and feel the helplessness and feel the desperation. If you're not feeling the desperation, then you're not diving deep enough. What does he say? In that moment, in the depths of our sin and our deadness, and our lack, and our lack of, of righteousness, but God. God makes the difference. And I sit here and I, I call myself a Christian. I call myself as, as, as one who has a part of the, the, the new covenant, the New Testament church. I say that I have hope. I, I, I say that I have God in my life. I say that I have Christ in my life. I say that I have a hope in heaven above. No, no, no matter what comes, no matter what I face, the reason I can say that is because God rescued me. That's at the core of what it means to truly be a Christian. There is this God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us. There there is a God who loved us even when we were not lovable. And let's just be real honest. It's easy for us to look at each other and and say, well, you know, some people are a little more lovable than others. Is that true? Of course it's true, right? But in the eyes of God, how many of us live with a fear that even the thoughts of our mind might be exposed to the world? They've already been exposed to God, but yet He still loves us. He still loves us, and He still shows us that mercy. But God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. See, God didn't wait for us to get our lives together before we came to Him. He didn't do that. Well, go and do these three things, and then then I might think about dying for you. You know, go, go and, and do this, and then I'll think about fulfilling, fulfilling uh, some, some act of mercy upon you. No, he did that even when we were dead in our trespasses. We, we read passages like John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Who's he talking about there? He's talking about lost people, dead people, people like you, people like me. These verses, they they strike so much to the heart of what it means to be converted to Christ. To be someone who throws himself upon the great mercy of our King. He has made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. 
And this idea of grace being this, this reward or this blessing that we receive that we don't deserve. When in fact we deserve something else. That's what God does for us. That's why it ought to be amazing to us. Because we receive something that we don't deserve. He'll, he'll go on to talk about that grace uh, in verse 8 when he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. The, these statements that have been abused throughout the years, I, I know people have added the idea of grace alone, and, and, and that's not what the text says, and, and, and James would condemn the idea of grace alone, but but even as we deal with those things, we ought not miss the point that he's making. Listen, we, we, we don't earn our salvation. No matter how many good things you've done, right? You know, you don't earn those things. I mean, we're saved, we say, we're saved, we're saved through faith, by grace, through faith. I know faith without works is dead, James 2. I know that the walls of Jericho fell by faith after they were encircled for seven days. I get the connection between, between grace and works, between faith and works, but, but the walls didn't fall because that's a great plan for making walls fall. That's not why they fell. They fell by the power of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so while we don't go to the extreme that we say that, well, nothing that, 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 that you do really matters, no, nothing is really essential, that flies in the face of everything else we read in the, in the New Testament, don't go to that extreme to miss, to miss the point that he's making. There is a rescue mission that our God has gone for on our behalf. And it's what makes all the difference. So that's why he says there in verse 11, remember these things. Talk about these things. I think it's beneficial for us to talk amongst ourselves about where we have come from. Not, not to wallow in our sin or to celebrate our sin. I suppose that there are times when people do things like that. that that's not what I'm talking about. But just as, Paul, just as Paul would boast in his weakness so that he might proclaim the glory of God, we too ought, ought to understand our own weakness so that we might proclaim the redemption of God. We need to remember that. Because if we understand where we were, then we understand how amazing it is that we can be where we are today. He says to remember that, because now, to the Christian because now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I'm talking to a bunch of dead people who are walking today. I'm talking to a bunch of people who don't deserve God's salvation. I'm talking to a bunch of people who have walked according to the principles of the power of the air who walk, who, the, the Spirit who works now, even in the sons of disobedience. I'm, I'm speaking even as a man who knows all about what it means to live our lives based upon the lusts of the flesh. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. Can I tell you, if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget where you've come from. Don't ever forget what's been done for you. If you feel yourself beginning to be filled with pride, if, if you feel yourself beginning to be worked up in all of the, the good things that you've done, listen, you need to go back and remember. When our eyes get taken off of our God and they get put on ourselves, there's a problem there. There's a fundamental problem of not understanding. We are the ones who are saved. Let that fill us with humility. Guys, let that fuel our passion for missions. Let that fuel our passion for taking the gospel into Latin America. Let that fuel our passion for going door to door. Let that fuel our passion for speaking to our neighbor and speaking to our coworker and to our family members. And we say, I don't know what to say. Just tell them what we've been talking about. Tell them about your own sin and how there was one who came to save you. And I want to tell this person who I know has the same sins about the same Savior. Isn't that at the heart of what it means to be evangelistic? If I can't tell you anything else, I can tell you about how the Lord saved me. He'd like to do the same for you. Let us be a people who stand in awe of what has been done before us and the privilege, the privilege and the honor to be able to stand up and say, I am a Christian. Do not take those words lightly. And if you're listening this morning and you don't know anything about what I'm talking about, about what it means to be a Christian or what it means to be forgiven, then to understand that the Lord Jesus didn't just die for me, He died for you too. And he didn't just invite me, but he invites you too to come, to repent of sin in your life, to throw yourself upon his his altar of mercy and grace, to be washed in his blood. That is the story of every Christian, and that is the story that needs to be told in the life of every person who is not a Christian. So if you're here this morning and you've never obeyed the gospel, You're here this morning and you've never been born again, repenting of your sins and being immersed for the remission of those sins, then you answer the Lord's invitation and you tell a different story the next time. If you're here this morning and sin rules your life, then then you come back. You return to the one who has saved you once and he will save you again. If you're here this morning and you can only see your own worthlessness, then know that God looked at you with all of your worthlessness and said, I love him. And you respond. You don't respond to me. You don't respond to to some, some person. You respond to that God who loves you and who died for you. You remember that as we stand and as we sing.